I'm of a mind. I'm of a mind. I'm of a mind makes a mookie. <laughs> Phone book. On this episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast, we discuss another reworked song for the Batman soundtrack, Vicky Waiting. And joining me on this episode is Julian Long. Welcome back to the show, Julian. Hey, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. I love, love, love being here and I can't wait to talk about this amazing song. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm really glad you're here, too, because Batman soundtrack uh, has, its, has its lovers. You know, people really... There's enough people out there that really enjoyed this this soundtrack, this, you know, this album of Prince's. But there's enough people that are just kind of meh on it, you know, that just don't have the same affinity for it that others do. And so we I call really those like... people wrong. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, have we can definitely call that. them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this. I wouldn't say it's a polarizing album. I think it's. I think over the years, people have softened a bit on it. But when you when you release an album right off the heels of God, one of the greatest, you know, runs in album history from any artist, any genre ever. Uh, any album that maybe, in the person's opinion, doesn't quite live up to the highs of Sign of the Times or Parade or right. Purple Rain or whatever. Yeah, it's going to seem like a little bit of a dip potentially. But here we are, you know, 30 plus years later. And I think Batman still holds up as a, a strong uh, album from front to back. Um, when putting it in Prince's entire discography, and I don't dismiss it like people end their Prince's genius run ended in 1988. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> nah, nah. Uh, there's there's plenty of people that like albums that came off after that, and but usually the ones who are very stuck in the 80s tend to ignore this one as well. Like, it's they basically cut it off after Love Sexy if they're being generous, and if they're not being generous, they'll cut them off after Sign of the Times. So Batman gets gets a little short shrift on that. It does. But, yeah. But I wanted to ask you, though, um, before we get started talking about Vicky Waiting, the song of the day, uh, you were alive in 1989, just like I was. So uh, why don't you tell me, like, your Batman story? Like, what, what did you think about the project when it first came out? Did you have any thoughts on it you want to share? I remember, it's funny because my friend Tracy Simmons, um, for her birthday, her mom was taking a bunch of us to see Batman. Um, so it was right around this time of year, uh, back in 89, when the when the film came out. And I'll never forget sitting in the theater. We went to, you know, the, the big theater at the time. This is before the days of Megaplexes. The big theater at the time in uh, this city was the Showcase Cinemas. I remember sitting in the theater, and when Prince's name came up on the screen in the opening credits the cheers for his name were louder than they were for Michael Keaton, louder than they were for Jack Nicholson. For nice. so many of the people in that theater, this was about seeing Prince. And, you know, for us now in the, I guess, the MCU era of movies, you know, we're very familiar with rumors about so-and-so appearing in a film and, and the secret cameos and all of that. It's really part of the movie-going experience. But I remember for Batman, we were all like, I heard Prince is going to be in it. Where's he going to be? Who do you think he's going to show up as? It was just, I remember like watching every frame looking for him because he's supposed to be in it. They said he was going to, you know, they, air quotes, they <laughs> said he was supposed to be in it. 
had no idea at the time about, you know, the the tension between him and the director, Tim Burton, and, and so many of the other things that were going on in that film. It was, you know, I was a kid. It was my favorite artist and my favorite movie that I hadn't seen yet, but just had decided already it was going to be my favorite. And I can I can understand, you know, while I vehemently and violently disagree with those who, you know, would would play down this album and its greatness, I kind of understand uh, from a sort of an allergic reaction standpoint, Batman was so freaking huge at the time. It was so all-encompassing. It was everywhere. Like, the kind of fervor that the nation had for the Batman film, even with the ginormous films that we have now, you know, they're, they're all sort of in conversation with one another. So you have, like, a huge film, like, Avengers Endgame or Spider-Man No Way Home or something like that. And it's massive, but it's it's in conversation with other films of its type. For Batman in 1989, we hadn't had a film quite like what it promised to be. Maybe ever. We had had superhero films, but it had been a while since the last Superman movie. And it wasn't handled with this kind of the everything about this movie felt different and darker. And we had this weirdo director at the helm and Prince didn't do a song on the soundtrack. Prince did the whole freaking soundtrack. <laughs> and that by itself, like made this film different because it was the Prince who, you know, we, even then his mystique was such that we assume if Prince touched it and blessed it, it must've been incredible. Had no idea you know, again, at the time there, there was, we, we didn't know as much as we do now about what was going on in Paisley Park and financial issues and things like that. And that in a lot of ways, taking on this project may well have saved him, uh, in, at, at least as has been reported in later years. At the time, it was just Prince decided to do this. So this must be epic and fantastic. And, you know, we got two weirdos with curly hair on opposite sides of this thing. It's going to be great. <laughs> but yeah. I think, you know, because it was such a an almost supernatural phenomenon, you know, in 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 America and really around the world, I can see a lot of people who were already die hard, you know, died in the wool Prince fans looking at something like this as a sellout move, because soundtracks aren't typically as you know well thought of as albums. They're thought of something in the background of movies uh, more than they are something that can really give shape to a film but then the minute you see the party man scene in batman you recognize how much of a shape this song you know this song and these 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 songs were able to give to the movie even for the diminished role that they ended up playing in the film ultimately um and then what made it really quite spectacular is separate from the movie you can listen to it as a, it, its own sort of theatrical story experience you know this this whole thing is filled with songs from the point of view of batman from the point of view of the joker and we got this one which really it, it sounds like more like a conversation that you know batman's alter ego bruce wayne is having and it's just is is dope um so you know for all the naysayers y'all got it wrong <laughs> but to have been there to have been there and to have experienced it within its time I can see how I can see how somebody might say, oh, this was, you know, this was the beginning of the end because making a soundtrack album that, you know, came replete with 
toys that McDonald's was selling and Mighty Wings and all the other hyper commercialization around this film, it probably to some made Prince feel like just another part of the hyper commercialization around a film, as opposed to what we really have, which is an album of well thought out selected pieces, some of which, you know, he dusted off and brought from the vault and some of which, to your point, he reworked and repurposed to uh, accompany this film, but by themselves, really beautiful standalone pieces of art. And I think people who dismiss this album, had they had the opportunity to experience, you know, Vicky waiting in its other form, would probably have looked at it a little bit differently. Had they listened to Lemon Crush in its other form, would have looked at it differently. Yeah. Yeah, and actually that's a great that's a great um segue into kind of the the origin story of this song. So as we both alluded to at this point, Vicky Waiting had life as another song called Anna Waiting. It was written by Prince for Anna Garcia, who would go on to be named Anna Fantastic, uh, another artist that Prince was wooing to become part of his, um, you know, his camp, his uh, Paisley Park label, recording artist slash girlfriend. And the way I understand the story is that he wrote this song for her and delivered it to her via tape, a cassette, you know, 1989, of course, on cassette (laughs) on uh, December 31st, 1988. I think is her birthday. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I know it was given to her on her birthday. And I saw a photo online of the tape. Like Anna herself had posted a photo of the tape that he gave her for her birthday that said 1231.88 on it. Anna Waiting is the name of the song. And so that's December of 88. And this is a, around the time, I don't know the exact dates, but this is around the time where Prince was then uh, recruited to be a part of this Batman project from a musical standpoint, record the songs. And so now in early 89, he's got to quickly come up with an entire soundtrack's worth of material. And that's, you know, asking a lot. So he did what just about anybody else would do in that position. All right. I've got a plethora of unreleased material in my vault is, you know, in 1989, the vault wasn't nearly as bloated as it would be. Uh, later decades later but he still had a lot like 80s were a very um, prolific time for prince from a recording perspective not that any time wasn't but right just a lot of stuff there's just a lot of stuff that he could pull from but of course he's probably not going to pull from stuff that he recorded in 81 or 82 unless he really felt strongly that he could rework it to make it more modern sounding but this uh song anna waiting was very it was very fresh he freshly recorded that just you know a month or so prior um and just looking at the lyrics you know one could wonder and I, well, i'm sure we'll do this as we go through the song what what was he saying here in the original version because i couldn't find the original version anywhere i don't know i know for a fact somebody's got it out there somebody has a version of anna waiting the original one that he recorded and gave to anna fantastic anna garcia I've not heard it, so I have no idea what parts have been reworked. I mean, it's obvious where he's inserted some Batman references, but what right. did he say? Well, I mean, what was it that he said there instead? That's the intriguing part to me. But there's enough, I think there was enough there that he felt like he could easily, pretty quickly, rewrite some of the lyrics to make this song 
fit so he wouldn't have to start over from scratch. And so that's what he did. Vicky, and of course, in the title of the song, is referring to Vicky Vale, the love interest of Bruce Wayne and the main female uh, protagonist in 89's Batman, played by Kim Basinger, who would then, of course, go on to briefly date Prince as well. I was going to say, he also wooed her to be a part of his camp. <laughs> yes, I did. think, by the way, that's the most beautiful euphemism I've heard for <laughs> Prince's <laughs> relationships with some of these ingenue. He's wooing yeah. her to be a part of his camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works for me, so that's why I use it. But yeah, so, I mean, that's really kind of it. In a nutshell, he gave the song to Anna. Oh, the other thing that I forgot to mention is that I guess he had asked her, uh, as the story goes, he asked her permission to repurpose the song for Batman, and she she granted it to him. I mean, it was his song, but once you kind of give it to somebody, it kind of becomes theirs. And so he felt like, I gave this song to somebody else, so I should really ask her that if it's okay. And if she would have said no, who knows what we would have gotten here instead. But I wonder that too, yeah. Yeah, but we got Vicky waiting. So... That's the song. Is that kind of how you understand it, Julian? Yeah, that's that's in a nutshell the way I've understood the origins of it. And like you, I listened to some of those very Batman-specific lyrics, and I'm like, what could he possibly have been saying originally? It's yeah. it's fun to speculate. Maybe we'll come to some insights together as we chop it up. Yeah, yeah, very possible. The song itself opens with a clip from the film. Uh, Prince did this a lot on the soundtrack, kind of incorporating uh, samples, clips from the movie itself into the into the songs. Really hammers home that this is a soundtrack song intended for a film. And, you know, I don't and I had mentioned this in another episode and I'm going to ask your opinion as well. Uh, at least the soundtracks that I was listening to, and there's always exceptions, but a lot of the soundtracks that I was listening to in the 80s didn't do this, didn't. Uh, employ this technique of taking sound clips from dialogue in the film and incorporating them into the songs themselves. I could just be just, you know, conveniently misremembering or forgetting things. Uh, it's a long time ago, but I just don't remember a lot of examples of this prior to Batman. I don't, Do you? I don't think there were no, um, you know, I would, I, there's not a, honestly, there's not a whole lot of super memorable soundtrack tracks from that era that pop up but i remember um desperately seeking susan and i don't remember anything like that on there i remember the soundtrack for short circuit and for breaking i don't remember anything like that there um even prince's own soundtracks for under the chair yeah, even purple, purple rain, rain didn't do that didn't do yeah. this yeah but what um what is interesting is a lot of this was happening over in hip-hop the use of skits and cutaways now wait a minute did did under the cherry moon feature anything from that film the soundtrack the parade the parade, parade yeah no not not really um like the spoken lines that were be before the beginning of like um do you lie that little french bit that wasn't from the film i don't think so okay i don't think then, so. yeah i got nothing <laughs> yeah yeah but you know you bring up a good point about like not just sampling in general, because, you know, Bat Dance, the song that we're not covering on this episode, um, <laughs> <laughs> has a lot of, like, mashup, sample-heavy uh, production that 
wasn't super common in 1989 yet. I mean, we started to see a little bit in pop music, and I'm just thinking of like, I don't know if you're, uh, I'm sure you are familiar with the remix of Eric B. and Rakim's Paid in Full that was on the Color soundtrack. Oh, yeah. That that was in, uh, including some interesting samples and uh, additional like Middle Eastern style music that wasn't part of the original recording. And, I, and you know, I'm also thinking of, <laughs> because when I think of Paid in Full, I think of also the, the song Pump Up the Volume by Mars. Right. That was also a big hit around this time and so music was starting to you know this um this mixture of pop and hip-hop and and like dance music doing some of the similar things together and the the lines were getting blurrier but Very true. Uh, from a yeah i mean 1989 88 89 so i guess i'm i'm course remembering the prince stuff because that's what we're talking about and that's what i talk about a lot but you know he was on the cutting edge but he was i don't think he was the first i'm not going to try to claim he was the first uh but you would see this later like in hip-hop soundtracks in the 90s they would start putting clips of uh the films that they were you know soundtracking into it but yeah this is one of the earlier examples i think of at least a very notable one Definitely. I think what Prince was doing there, though, was a lot more sophisticated than just, you know, reminding us that it was a soundtrack. Whenever I listen to Batman, especially when I, you know, if I sit down and listen to the whole thing, I really am having a separate film experience. And I feel like he was making a companion piece or or a conversational uh, a, a, a piece in conversation with Batman, the film. Um, which is why I think him being the only artist on it was so important. He was able to make a complete unified piece of itself, you know, in and of itself, that exists to, to music fans and to Prince fans for sure, just as important as the film does. And while there are certain parts where they cross over, you know, the music shows up in the film, the film shows up in the music, I, I think he used cuts from the film to kind of set a stage for how we would receive the music and in that way kind of made it its made it its own film um or at least its own story and i really that's one of the things that i really dig about this um is 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 that utilization like yeah it does remind you you hear jack nicholson but what you're really hearing is a guy who is in an amorous mood and who is searching for who you know the the, the person that he he wants to reach out to and connect with and that sets a certain tone for the way that you perceive the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The samples weren't just random. They they had purpose, for sure. And what we get at the intro is is Jack Nicholson as the Joker saying, I'm of the mind to make some mookie. <laughs> Phone book. So, yeah, you're right. That That sets the tone for the song, which is not the first ballad. It's not really... I wouldn't really call this a ballad, but it's certainly a song that has um, subject matter related to relationships, related to, uh, you know, um, the the key relationship of the film is between Bruce Wayne and Vicki Vale. And that's who this song is supposed to be sung from the perspective of as Bruce Wayne. Right. So but keeping that in mind. This guy has a much more intimate relationship with, with his Vicki 
than Bruce in the in the film ever had with the Vicky in the film. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like supposed to be maybe, uh, you know, year number, like several months later, five, six, right. seven months later after the, the events of Batman. Because they're just kind of just starting to, um, you know, know each other, get to know each other a little bit in the, in the film and decide whether or not they're intrigued enough with each other to start a relationship. But yeah, so we're we're kind of fast forwarding a little bit um, in their in their relationship when the songs lyrics are sung here. If you're just kind of imagining where this is and how this fits in with the universe, the Batman universe. All right, so the uh, the very first verse, the lyrics are, the phone rings, it's Vicky calling. She wants me to come to the crib. She says, conversation's better than being lonely, so I try my best to ad-lib. I told her the joke about the woman who asked her lover, why is your organ so small? He replied, I didn't know I was playing in a cathedral. Vicky didn't laugh at all. <laughs> so yeah this is this is a very kind of lighthearted um first verse it's a bit self-deprecating and, and not saying you know prince's organ is small i'm not I'm not saying that i'm saying like the whole thing comes off as he's trying to impress her a little bit like uh he says you know try my best to ad lib so he tells a joke the joke doesn't necessarily go over so well it's a bit crude maybe for for vicky's taste uh, but he's trying like he's I'm not calling him a tryhard, but he's certainly putting in the effort to uh, impress Vicky or to make her feel comfortable or to give her whatever it is that she's needing. Um, because, you know, the phone rings. She's calling him. It's Vicky calling. So she's the one that initiates the the communication. So it's, there, you, it's very clear that even though he's trying to impress her. He's already must have done something to, uh, in, you know, put himself in a favorable position with Vicky or Anna in this song to make them already kind of have this rapport between them where they can make crude jokes or, you know, uh, come to the crib, basically. <laughs> like, right. they don't just do that on, on first date. So this was the 1989 version of You Up. That was what, <laughs> that was what's happening there. Yeah, so this is kind of, like I said, I find it to be humorous. I find it to be um, pretty lighthearted. Joking Prince is always a fun Prince. Um, so what what do you like about this first verse, Julian? So let me tell you a story about this first verse. I'm a brand new uh, kid at a new school, a, a very upscale, how do you do private school. It's my freshman year there in high school. Um so I've got all the the whole new kid jitters, and I'm I'm perceived as such a a nice young man. And at lunchtime, I sit down at one of the tables where one of the teachers are, because the teachers used to sort of co-mingle with the students. 
um, for lunch. I sat down on one of the tables where uh, the history teacher was sitting and in my awkwardness decide to tell a joke. And I told this one. <laughs> it's the only joke I could think of at the time. <laughs> and oh, because, because I wasn't super savvy yet, I didn't realize what I was saying. I hadn't, right. I, I didn't understand the punchline. I thought the punchline, I got the part about why is your organ so small? I was like, ah, that part's fine because, you know, freshman kid logic. But, but the, I didn't know that I was playing in a cathedral part. I thought it was more of a, ooh, burn. He thinks you're super fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Did not catch the size differential and what was, and what was really being said there. And uh, much like Vicky, the teacher who I will spare putting her name on, on air, lest she be you know, listening, she didn't laugh at all either. Mm-hmm. And, and no one else at the table did. And I picked up my tray and I walked away humiliated. And oh. I never sat at that table again for the entire four years. I never <laughs> sat with them again. Um, Painful memories, man. Painful memories. Super painful <laughs> memory. And I just, I, to me, it was like Prince can do no wrong. It seemed funny. I guess I really should have paid attention. If Vicky didn't laugh, why would I expect anyone else to? But, you know, I it, it was the joke that came to mind, and I felt like this was a, a fine opportunity to tell it. And I was very, very wrong, and I will never in my natural black life forget the shame of that moment. And it's part of the reason why I wanted to do this song, because I was like, oh, yeah, no, I got a history with this song. Um, maybe exercise a few demons but um what i do love about this it is in part the how it really does set set apart the the nature of the relationship that you know in in whatever multiverse that this batman and vicky are he's clearly not busy at night because because Vicky can call him and ask him, you know, to to keep her company. I do find it interesting that, you know, it sets off right at the beginning. She wants him to come to the crib, but instead she's willing to accept conversation um, over loneliness. So he just, you know, he's not willing to make the trip over. He's not willing to 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 take that step, um, which, you know, the course brings us to and the title already brings us to. But he he does want to entertain. He does want to be involved. And I think that it sets up really clearly from the beginning. This is a person with boundaries. Um, definitely tempted. Definitely engaged. Definitely intrigued. But, you know, this this Bruce Wayne, uh, or, or more likely Prince, given the relationship and the age differential between him and Anna, um, had to had to put some brakes on it has to have have barriers and boundaries and i think that that makes sense for you know who bruce wayne is as as a figure and it makes the it makes the story of this song interesting right off the top um also just like i think very similar to to prince and bruce wayne they're sort of shrouded in mystery and you don't expect a whole lot of smiles from them but when you get one it seems pretty special and I like, you know, to your point, I like the playfulness that he demonstrates here. Yeah, it's reminiscent of his uh, Christopher Tracy character under the cherry moon, who, you know, was a very different 
character than the kid from Purple Rain. The kid from yeah. Purple Rain was kind of a shitty boyfriend and, you know, mean to his bandmates and just not not an overall a very nice person to most people around, very selfish, um, if I'm being mean. Uh, Under the Cherry Moon, yes, he is a scoundrel and a scamp. Uh, and he was using women for money and to better his place in life, but he was also a good friend. Right. Um, he ultimately gave his life for a woman he loved. So you have to kind of like he had redeeming qualities and he was also a big joker. You know, he, he loved to crack jokes ah, and loved to play. There. Yeah, he, he was he was a jokester. So he loved life and loved his uh, place in life, even though he was trying to, you know, improve it every, every day. Uh, this, and I don't know why that reminds me of it, just because this is, seems like the kind of joke that <laughs> Christopher Tracy would have, would have said in another Oh, chain. absolutely. That's the only reason why I think of it. But yeah, no, you bring up some good points about, you know, also the, how this fits in with both. I mean, you have to, it's impossible knowing what we know, in 1989, we didn't know, we didn't know. So we this was just a song about Vicky Bale. But we have now two sides of the coin to think about these lyrics from the perspective of. You got the Batman side of the coin, and you've got the personal relationship he was, you know, trying to cultivate with with Anna at this time. And you know that I didn't mention it, but yes, there was a significant age difference, uh, ten years, eleven years, something like that. Yeah. And um, maybe even more, uh, he might have been 30 and she was like 18. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, pretty significant. And so there was there was definitely uh, a kid gloves and no pun. You know, I didn't. Sorry, <laughs> no pun intended. But he was making sure that he did not overstep boundaries uh, with somebody so young and so kind of inexperienced and and thinking of it this way, like, hey, come to the crib. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe, maybe not. That's not a, maybe that's not a great idea right, right. now. Right. Well, but I like you. <laughs> yeah, I like right. you, and I don't want to brush you off. Uh, eventually, she came to, to stay in Paisley Park, so obviously he was interested. He just had to wait, you know? Or she, he waited or she did. Wait. Or she, or good point. Good point. Um, okay, so yeah, let's let's move on. All right, so the chorus is, this is where she wants to be. I am what she wants to see. I never known a love so sweet. Still, I keep Vicky waiting. So in the chorus, you know, the, the, the key line here it, to me, but there's a couple of them. The key line for me is that still I keep Vicky waiting. So this is both, I feel like this is both Prince and Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. In some ways, playing hard to get, but also in some ways, just keeping their love interests at arm length, arm's length for their various reasons. Like Bruce Wayne and Prince don't have the exact same reasons for doing this, um, but they both have reasons. And that's a little bit what I want to or what I think about here is they're not quite ready to jump into this fully. Uh, this is where she wants to be. You know, that that's a, also a key line. This is where she wants to be. So, and I also think of it like, I wonder if he wrote this 
after Anna had already decided she was going to move to Minneapolis or, you know, to mm. Minnesota, Chanhassen and live at Paisley Park with him. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this was kind of like, all right, well, she's chosen. This is where she wants to be. She wants to be with me in Minnesota. I'm still going to, you know, be careful with this. I'm still going to keep her waiting, but she's made her choice. You know, she's now fully yeah. an adult. She's just turned 18. She can make these decisions for herself. I'm what she wants to see. But I'm going to keep her waiting. I don't know. But what, what what are your thoughts on the chorus, Jordan? You just, you just gave me another perspective on it. Because honestly, I've always listened to the chorus as him kind of inside his head. You know, kind of lamenting or thinking or kind of mulling it over. And it was always like internal monologue for me. When you, when we really kind of parse it out and look at the relationship or the potential relationship that was happening between him and Anna, it, it reads a little bit like a defense. Like when you, when you really highlighted the line, this is where she wants to be not defensive as in posturing, but like maybe, maybe even him explaining it to someone else. Like, look, she this is her choice. This is what she wants to be. I'm what she wants to see. But look, I'm I'm still doing the right thing. Even if she's living here, I'm still, you know what I mean? Like really kind mm-hmm. of really kind of making the case for what he recognizes, you know, looks awkward or or problematic, though that wasn't a term back then from the <laughs> outside. Um mm-hmm. and that makes it that makes it um a lot more interesting i think you know just because of the idea of it being somewhat salacious makes anything interesting to more purient mindsets but what i do you know i also remember that when i first heard this we the rumor was already about kim basinger we already assumed they were dating whether they were or not i almost think that their relationship became a bit of a fan cast like we kind of willed it into existence (laughs) um yeah yeah and and so at the time listening to it, you know, Vicky was just an analog for Kim and it felt like he was talking about her and that didn't, you know, it didn't have as much richness or as much depth. It was still interesting and still beautiful, but it didn't have the kind of layered meaning that I think we get when we look at what was actually going on at that time. Oh, for sure. For sure. Cause otherwise it just comes off as, you know, a guy being kind of aloof and, not wanting to commit because, you know, Prince, you know, the rumors were Prince was a ladies man in 1989. Well, even years before that. So, yeah, Kim wants me. I don't know, man. I've got all these other women. Do I really want to commit to just one person? Exactly. <laughs> I think that is a, a very apt interpretation for those who maybe weren't, which is most of us, weren't privy to what was going on in Prince's personal life in late 88, early 89. So, um, yeah, totally. I mean, it works either way. All is well in Gotham City. The sound of terror is all you hear. Sometimes a pistol takes the place of a body. Sometimes a body is here. See, when crime is your only love, all that matters, the present, the here and now. Whatever flows, this joke is both. Is whatever this joke will 
Okay, so the next uh, verse, all is well in Gotham City. The sound of terror is all you hear. Sometimes a pistol takes the place of her body. Sometimes her body's here. But you see, when crime is your only love, all that matters is the present, the here and now. People, people, whatever floats this Joker's boat, it's whatever this Joker will bang. <laughs> so, verse you let two me is... down a little bit, Jason. <laughs> Did I? I needed you. I needed you to hit that false. See when crime is your only love. <laughs> I was looking for. I knew you were gonna hit it, and you didn't hit it. No, man. I don't, oh. <laughs> all, hit trying to hit all those different notes, man. It's it's that's it's problematic. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's problematic. I can't do Good it. Word. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so this uh, <laughs> the second verse is a little bit all over the place. This is the one that feels to me like the most reworked verse. I hope so. I hope for Anna's sake. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot. we got Gotham City in the first line. you got references to pistols. Right. I hope he didn't tell her that crime was his only love. (laughs) And that he was was packing heat all the time, you know? And I I don't know, man. Sometimes we, we may have to chill, and I've just got to... Hang out with my gun for a while. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and then, of course, the last line, whatever floats this Joker's boat is whatever this is whatever this Joker will bang, which, you know, if you don't, if you're listening to it casually and you don't even know that this is a Bruce Wayne song, you might think that he's speaking from the perspective of the Joker. Like, the Joker yeah. wants to, to bang Vicky, which... I guess he does in the movie. Yeah, I mean, given the opening, <laughs> the opening salvo too that they swipe from the movie, that I think that's a reasonable conclusion to come to. And maybe you know, Prince adopted the Gemini character really heavily for Batman, so maybe, maybe this part is a little bit of Joker because also, while crime would be Batman or Bruce Wayne's passion, it wouldn't be his love. So this, right. this very well could be, and even the idea of all is well in Gotham City, the sound of terror is all you hear, of the two characters, that's more of a Joker line than it is a Batman line. So maybe this, I don't know now. Yeah, you know? I don't know either. It's it's a little confusing. Uh, the other thing that I um, think of just when, when he says, whatever floats this Joker's boat is whatever this Joker will bang, I, you know, there's another... So there's the Joker is the proper noun is the name of the character in the film, but also a Joker is just somebody who's, you know, just a kind of a shithead, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> somebody who's, you know, cracking wise all the time and is maybe not um, that serious. You know, so if I call somebody a Joker, that's just because they're being kind of a, you know, a funny guy. Um somebody who's a prank a prankster or a practical joker so you've got that aspect too so you could look at joker he could be referring to himself like i'm a joker hey me prince if this was the original lyrics and he's like oh shit (laughs) i said joker in that song i could flip that to me joker and that might have been his eureka moment yeah (laughs) i don't know god be nice to know what i dig about what i dig about that interpretation that you just brought out is that it really does it does kind of fit the possible narrative about why other reasons why he would keep whether it's kim vicky or anna waiting um I don't think anyone looks at Prince as sort of the poster child for uh, monogamy. 
and the idea that you know maybe i'm not ready to to sacrifice all these other relationships like you want something for real for real you want to be here i am what you want like i am clear that you have settled on me but i am not so very settled on you i i still want to bang whatever floats my boat and mm -hmm. and i am not really you know my only love i'm sure prince wasn't saying that crime was his only love again we hope um but you know but it, it wouldn't be hard to imagine him saying that you know music is his only love or maybe there wasn't even a lyric there maybe it was just a guitar whine because the way he hits that word crime and Jason, you know I'm gonna do this, so let's just go ahead and get out of the way. It's very much like a Baptist minister. <laughs> but it is, he's he's pulling that trick again, that intonation of of uh, you know the tradition of hooping and wailing that ah, that's not unfamiliar within the church. And then you'll notice in you know, for, for those listening to the song as they listen to this, in the next version of the chorus we get uh, a little more of that kind of interplay and we start to get in the next verse, the introduction of um, overlapped vocals to simulate a choir. So he's, you know, he dips in that well a lot. And every time he does it, I remember it because Prince was one of the artists I wasn't supposed to listen to being a good church boy. And one of the ones that I was always like, no, it's okay, cause look. Um, so I was pulling all of these even back then as evidence for why he should have been acceptable. but. His his efforts here to to kind of to I think everything from you see when crime is your only love down to the end of the verse feel like him putting more distance like I almost almost visualize him pushing someone away because yeah. he he's just not there for it but exactly that, yes but it doesn't give me any clue I've never had a clue as to what to do with sometimes a pistol takes the place of her body. You know, I, I was think I always, I've wrestled with this from, from childhood on every time I listen to the song, like, is he talking about dissociation? Does, is he, is he talking about like being intimate and then she dissociates or is it that they're being intimate and the way that she behaves is, you know, sexually is somehow like a pistol or is he talking about the, like you said, like that intimacy of the relationship with like, eh, if you're not here, I just got this gun. Like they're, they're both equally a turn on to me. And yeah, I, I think it depends on what perspective does you're, you're going coming from this at, right. Yeah. If, if we're thinking like, if it's coming from the Joker or from anybody in Gotham city, that living a life of crime, you could say like my life of crime sometimes will replace my romantic life. Like, Sometimes that comes first. Job yeah. comes first. And, and my and my job in Gotham City, if I'm a criminal, involves guns, potentially. So sometimes the pistol takes the place of of my my love life or my relationships. That's just and an and even there, there's something about the almost reductive way that instead of her being Vicky or Anna or whomever, it's her body. There's mm -hmm. something I I don't know what it leaves me with but it doesn't it doesn't go unnoticed like every time i hear it the reducing reducing the she in this sentence you know whomever she may be to her body um it feels intentional and 
it feels like it means something, but I don't know what it means. I don't know what the intent was there. Um, mm-hmm. But I've never really, I've never really let that go. That's one of those splinters in the brain that a few Prince songs will always leave with me that eventually I'll kind of skip past it and go on, but I always come back to it. You know, like you're, like you got a, a little piece of popcorn in your back tooth. You're always going to come back to it until you get that thing <laughs> dislodged. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know <laughs> everybody who's eating popcorn <laughs> knows that feeling. What I ultimately take from this verse is a whole lot of excuses. Yeah. Somebody's the the singer, whomever, if we think it's Prince, if we think it's Bruce Wayne, or if we think it's even like singing from the perspective of the Joker or Bruce Wayne saying, like, this is what life is like for the Joker or any criminal. There's a whole lot of excuses why they can't be fully present in their relationship with Vicky or whomever. You know, they, they, they're they too preoccupied. With, and of course, these written lyrics imply that they're preoccupied either with fighting crime or participating in crime. <laughs> One of the two, depending on where you're, <laughs> right. where you're coming from. But I can also see this because it's heavily reworked lyrics, rewritten. If it's Prince singing about this, I I can only imagine, because that's all I can go off of, is that he's talking about things that he's passionate about, which is his music, his music, and his music. So I just see a lot of this (laughs) potentially being reasons why Prince can't fully commit. And I don't know why you would give, I guess, a song that tells you why, tells the girl who wants to move in with you why... They can't fully commit, but Prince spoke in, in song, you know, wouldn't be the first time that he delivered a song with questionable lyrics to somebody as a as a way to communicate. She's always True. in my hair, for example. <laughs> right. To Jill. But anyway, so I, I just kind of see as like I can't be completely present for these reasons. And I apologize, but this is just the way it is. I might sometimes come off as standoffish or distant, and that last those last couple of lines, like, "Hey, I'm I'm actually probably still gonna screw other people." Right, <laughs> right. Don't get too attached, kid. <laughs> I like to believe that in the original version, that all was well in Erotic City. Ooh, because I'm trying to think of like what would fit there that that didn't make too much of a change. And yeah, see, yeah. and even yeah. the way he delivers Gotham, he says sitai. Um, yeah. <laughs> so even his delivery of it seems to be, and, and you know, he always made songs that were in conversation with other songs. So who knows if this was written around that same time, it's, it's pretty possible that all was well in erotic city before this happened before, you know, he changed it over. But then that makes me wonder what the sound was the only sound that you hear. Um, but with that delivery, I can even still accept sometimes a pistol takes the place of her body. That part still, still makes sense to me. Oh, well, not, you know, as much sense as it makes the way it is now. Yeah, Um, sure, sure. But like, I could see that still being the lyric, but that makes it connect. You know, if that were erotic city in the first line, it makes the last two lines about, you know, banging, whatever floats your boat feel pretty appropriate Mm -hmm. yeah the sound of i don't know you could say some some orgasmic type sound or word that he used to replace terror 
exactly. we're talking right after saying all's well in erotic. So we're putting this out there for posterity's sake. Like this is yeah. our theories. So this that way <laughs> someday we're either going to be proven completely wrong and looked at it like a couple of idiots, or we're going to be uh, looked at as potential geniuses here. They're going to so. say these two guys were so ahead of their time and so <laughs> in tune with <laughs> that's what they're going to say. Yeah, I, I'm banking on it, man. I'm banking on it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's the second verse. The second verse is interesting, as we've been talking about for last however many minutes, because of how different it is. The only thing we haven't talked about yet is I do like the double meaning of bang at the end. Oh, yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah, whatever floats this Joker's boat is whatever this Joker will bang. Of course, bang could be slang for sex. But also, bang is the sound of a, a gun. A pistol. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so, so he does like that nice turnaround. I gotta tell you, mm-hmm. the more we look at these lyrics, and then I look back at the first verse, and then I think about whose voice he used to intro the song. Now I'm wondering if Prince, in his reforming of this song, was casting himself as the Joker, because even in the first verse. When he tries his best to ad lib, that's, you know, that's typically with humor. Then he tells a joke. That's that's Joker behavior. And I'm wondering if part of what he was saying in his. I like to imagine that when he reformed this, to your point, he was still making excuses, but maybe he was also just kind of doing some some introspection and saying, I'm I'm not the one like I really, really like her and I would like to be the one but i ain't it i'm i know who i am i'm the joker in this equation you know the kind of like that moment where um samuel l jackson in pulp fiction says he wants he's trying real hard to be the shepherd but what he recognizes is that he's the tyranny of evil men like i think i think maybe prince was recognizing i very much want to be the batman i want to be the the winged hero but i think i'm the chaotic unpredictable joker yeah that's the gemini part because this 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 second verse i'm having the more we talk about it the harder time i'm having casting bruce wayne or batman as the as the speaker and Mm -hmm. this is a first for me in like 30 some odd years yeah i mean the 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 lyrics and the liner notes say this is from Bruce Wayne, but boy, I mean, if it didn't say that, <laughs> yeah, we would we would all be talking like, oh, the Joker's got the hots for Vicky, um, which you know I think if I recall correctly, sure, I mean she's an attractive woman, why wouldn't he? And he came into contact with her, so I can see him wanting to, in an alternate universe, like mm, I would like to be with her, but that's not who I am either. I'm ultimately at the end of the day, I'm a criminal and I'm a Joker and. I'm not the one. So it's just interesting. The song is interesting for a few different reasons. You know, too, it's kind of, again, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and and own this stretch that I'm making in the film. um, The Joker ruins his first girlfriend. If you remember, he, he gave her that treatment that disfigured her horrifically and it was there that when Vicky saw that, that she was terrified of him too. And because of Prince's, we'll say, checkered reputation with how women, how women were left feeling after relationships with him, 
I could see him, you know, in, in retrospect as he's reorganizing, reworking this song that was originally intended for a young ingenue who, who looked at him that fondly. I could see him identifying a little bit with the Joker in that respect as well. Like, again, I don't, I don't want to make of you what I've made of other women before. Yeah. Well, dude, that's, that's verse three. <laughs> that's basically, oh, you're well, just basically, verse three then. Yeah. <laughs> that you just basically, uh, was, we're talking about what verse, what I think at the heart of what Prince is saying in verse three is putting out some insecurities about is he right for somebody so young and so, um, you know, so naive maybe about life and about who he is. Anyway, so let's, yeah, so we get the chorus. The chorus is the same. We won't go over that again. Verse three, talk of children still frightens me. Is my character enough to be one that deserves a copy made? This I one day hope to see. Until then, she's held at bay by my animal-like persistence. Or maybe she's just too proud to say that fate brought us together and this is where she wants to stay. So that first half of this verse, I think, very clearly speaks to some of the things that you were putting out there just now about... um, you know, maybe Prince identifying a little bit with not somebody who ruins relationships, but certainly has a reputation for, uh, you know, things not ending in the way, you know, not having the fairy tale ending. Let's put it that way. Uh, at this point in 1989, he had never been married, even though he'd had plenty of, you know, uh, high profile and low profile women in his life. And maybe he was feeling a little bit like I'm not necessarily worthy of a long-term relationship because of whatever faults that I have in my, you know, in my head about myself, about the person I am. And that's what he says. Am I, is my character enough to be one that deserves a copy made? So like, am I even worthy of having kids? Am I the kind of person, am I going to be a good dad? Am I going to be a good husband, good father to a child? I don't know. And he was having some of those, uh, I think, insecure thoughts about that part of his life. He would eventually come to grips with that throughout his 30s and decide, yes, I am good enough, you know, to to get married. And I have enough uh, faithfulness in me to stay monogamous and then also to have a child that I can raise. And I'm worthy of this, you know. But in 1988, uh, he might have still been struggling with that. Yeah. This verse has, for my entire life, this verse has sat in the back of my head in every intimate relationship that I've ever had. Um, so you you know I I, I am 
I don't, I'm not a father. I don't have children. Um, and have always wanted kids. But this verse was the realest shit I had ever heard. It didn't hit me, obviously, in my youth. But in subsequent re-listens around college and moving forward, it hit me like a ton of bricks or like a freight train. Um, I, I personally, and this, I'm sorry, man, I don't want to like change the tone and everything. Like I hear my own voice and I'm like, ugh, serious motherfucker. But, um, <laughs> but, um, it, it is my personal belief that one of the most profound and beautiful testimonies a woman can give to their perception of you is to is to commit their body to creating a copy of you and that is definitely informed by this lyric for better or for worse it just is Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the idea that um that someone as remarkably gifted and just as powerful uh, an entity as he was in the world as Prince would wrestle with this. Um, it always kind of spoke to me. I've literally, I've literally quoted these lines in a relationship because we've had that talk, you know, we've had those, those what about kids things and, and kind of like, you know, Prince, or or whomever the speaker of this song is keeps their Vicky waiting and, you know, desperately it's clear wants and loves and the idea of it is all appealing and beautiful and wonderful. But the, the actual execution of it is terrifying. And that's where I've been for pretty much my entire adult life. Not really ever able to get to a point where I felt like, it's enough that I would let someone commit themselves to making a copy. I have been in this one day I hope to see for over 20 years. Um, and so I, another reason, I, I didn't mean to like take this no. on to exercise, <laughs> exercise demons and do therapy. No, it's, it's more than fine, Julian. This was the other verse that really made me want to do this song. Um, because it's not too often that there are that there are lyrics that shape your character and the way that you choose to live your life again for better or for worse and this is one and we get past uh past his sort of inward reflection and then you know prince delivers this next line in a growl when he's like until then She's held at bay by my, and then he doubles uh, or multiplies the voice again to bring this somewhat choir-like sound, but also a more supernatural sound to my animal-like persistence. That line always messed with me because it suggests a more aggressive approach. Animal-like persistence, I think of a beast stalking prey. But this isn't Mm. what he's demonstrating here. What he's talking about here is not animal-like persistence. It's animal-like resistance, maybe. Um, But he's the one that is holding back. It's, 
if anybody were demonstrating animal-like persistence, it might be, you know, the Vicky Anna Kim person that that is being addressed in the song. But it's not him. It's a it's a resistance that that he's put up, and then that kind of questions the next two lines, or maybe she's just too proud to say that fate brought us together. It doesn't feel true. It feels like it should be until then she's held at bay by my animal-like resistance, or maybe I'm just too proud to say that fate brought us together. (laughs) That feels more true. You know, like in every iteration of what could possibly be the romance in this story, whether it's Batman to Vicky, whether it's Prince to Kim, whether it's Prince to Anna, whether it's the Joker to Vicky, all of those, it's it's whoever is singing that seems like they would be the ones too proud to admit that fate brought us together. Because whoever is singing, whoever is telling this story is the one keeping someone else waiting. And so that's their pride. That's not the other person's yep. pride. Yep. And so that's, you know, that's yet another kernel in the back teeth and splinter in the brain that this song has always brought to me is why would you flip that switch when it's so obviously not true? Yeah. No, that's that's very insightful because I I totally agree with that. It doesn't logically make sense when you're following the structure of the song, following along with the lyrics and hear him say that it just sounds. It doesn't sound right doesn't sound yeah. like it was the right phrasing to use there from all that we've heard up to this point so thanks for articulating that because <laughs> I, i've always felt it too like i don't really get what why he's saying that uh <laughs> he's holding her at bay by a animal-like persistence a persistence that she can't get close to him and that's the only explanation i can come up with like he's his animal-like persistence, like a persistence that yet yeah, she can't get close to him. Yes, but then to throw animal-like in front of it just doesn't fit with what he's doing, or so you know, and intending to do here in this the end of the song by persisting that they stay apart. I it, it's just awkward, no matter how you slice it. It it it, it really does feel like. Um it feels like somebody trying to pivot away from a truth that gets a little too close. Um, (laughs) And again, that might just be my reading because of how, uh, how much I allowed this particular verse of this particular song to be an overlay in parts of my life. But it just feels like he, he got too close to the truth was like, "Mm -mm, no, don't like this. And Mm -hmm. just pivoted, uh, pivoted away. And again, I would, I would give a lot to hear the original version of these lyrics and and um and what he delivered to someone who very clearly loved him. Yeah, I even tried to find just even if I didn't get to hear it, I wanted to find transcribed original lyrics and I could not find them. Now, of course I didn't go down every dark path that exists to find uh, bootleg stuff or you know, contact of uh, people who probably have it. Um, I didn't contact Anna, <laughs> so right. you know, uh, I didn't go there. I didn't didn't contact Questlove. You know, and all the other big, big name. Um, but if you're listening, but... please feel free to let us know. <laughs> if you're listening and you happen to know what these lyrics are, my DMs are open. So hit me up. <laughs> uh, 
yeah i mean ultimately i think this song works out a lot of different levels which is what makes it fascinating if it's bruce wayne yes bruce wayne is going to have a fear of commitment in, in the context of his role as also his alter ego batman how do you how do you raise a family how do you start a family if your entire life is dedicated to fighting crime uh, how you can't really right um so he's got a lot of barriers that he has to put up to prevent himself from getting in, involved in a relationship that he can't sustain if it's prince prince up to this point has struggled with his relationships um, some lasted longer than others but ultimately none of them lasted to um you know to 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 marriage none of them lasted to you know crossing that that particular barrier and and finding himself a married man so he's got some issues to deal with from a personal standpoint and he's kind of working them out here as we talked about and uh, expressing them quite well actually in, in ways that can, can really help listeners who are listening to this more than just a kind of a cool slinky jam on the batman soundtrack if it's the joker yeah, the Joker's a fucking mess. Of course he's going to have problems <laughs> <laughs> with relationships. He wants to, like, he, like, hurts the people that he likes, or I don't even know if he loves his girlfriend in Batman. I don't, who knows, but he hurts people that are close to him just by his nature of who he is. He's going to hurt people. So if he happens to actually love somebody and has the capacity to love somebody, yeah, he's going to probably feel like, I'm not the right person for you because I hurt everybody that gets close to me and I don't want to see that for you. So you need to stay the fuck away. So it, it the song works on all three levels, I think. I just had an epiphany that makes animal-like persistence make sense to me. Spit it. Until then, she's held at bay by my animal-like persistence makes sense if it's the Joker because of his persistent and very aggressive pursuit of chaos and crime. And mm -hmm. that by itself, without him actually telling someone, no, no, stay away from me, his, if he continues to pursue the life that he's pursuing, that's enough to keep someone at bay. Similarly, if you, if you want to take animal like literally, if it is the Batman character speaking, then his persistence in, you know, putting his body and his life on the line in pursuit of fighting crime is enough, you know, if that behavior doesn't change, that's enough to keep someone from getting close. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think by this point in the film, Alfred had this point in the film, like this actually shows up. And I don't think the song does show up in the film. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but you can in, imagine. Uh, right. But, in the film, at a certain point, Alfred does the you know the dunderhead thing and lets Vicky in because reasons. So she knows that Bruce is that is Batman, and I would imagine that at a certain point there's an ultimatum, whether spoken or unspoken, that if we're going to try. Well, she actually does say the line. I just got to know: Are we going to try to love each other? Um, and and if you are, you you can't go running around in your leather cape jumping off buildings kind of puts a damper on the relationship. But if he continues to pursue that with this sort of animal-like ferocity, that's going to hold her at bay too. So it does, yeah. it, if it, it does work 
in that regard. But I think I still stand by my original take that there's some introspection there that made the the writer, the actual author, the man Prince, want to flip it this way so that it doesn't get too close. Because this is, um, again, this is his come to Jesus moment. But let's not forget the way these lines are delivered. Talk of children still frightens me is followed up by a little hoop, a little um, a little uh, vocal accent by the multiplied voices to sound like a choir. Then is my character enough to be is followed up by never. And then one that deserves a copy made is followed up by never twice. Um, like these are the kinds yeah. of these are the kinds of ad libs that take place in gospel music to kind of reaffirm and and nail down and hammer down a point. And I feel like in this part, he's he's having his reckoning. I don't know if he goes all the way there. I don't know if he, you know, whoever the whether we're talking about the writer or any of the possible characters, I don't know if they go all the way there. But this is definitely the reckoning of the song. Yeah, yeah, you bring up a good point that often gets lost when I do these lyrics and people have called it out. <laughs> like, well, when you read them, Jason, they don't really have the exact same impact. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I'm I'm not a singer. <laughs> and, right. And I want to make sure that, you know, I'm able to clearly dictate what's being said here. But they go hand in hand. The delivery and the lyrics go hand in hand in every song. So that's why people who listen to the show need to have the the song in their heads at least at least try and then i put the clips in there so you understand how it's delivered because a delivery does make a big difference and so anytime one of my guests calls out a delivery uh, a different way of the the lyrics being delivered than what is just straightforward on paper i appreciate that because it is something that i oftentimes um, bypass not intentionally it's just the nature of what I do. So thank you for bringing that up because it does make a big difference and it helps understand a little bit where the uh, the intent is for the songwriter when they deliver it in a certain way. You get that more. For sure. You get the but I think it's one of the things that I dig about this show though is that we focus on the lyrics first and then we can kind of talk about the delivery, but by focusing on just what was on the page or, you know, what made it to wax in, in terms of the words, I have gotten so much more of, of an understanding and a relationship with these songs. Because, like I said, even earlier with this one, the delivery of the song is one thing. I love the song, love the way it sounded. Had never occurred to me until just right now, these moments. What if this was the Joker, despite what the liner note says? What if that's him? And then really analyzing the lyrics, I will probably never look at this song the same way again. You know, I can I can choose to look at it through either lens, but now I have that choice. And that mm -hmm. makes the song that much more richer and interesting. So while, you know, while the, the delivery part can be important in terms of what it adds, really taking the time to look at the word choices um, especially given, you know, who we're talking about as a writer. I don't think he just did throwaway stuff too often. I think it's I think it's it's really critically important. Yeah, I think then after that third verse, we really don't have anything new to to touch on. It's the same chorus repeated and kind of ad-libbed around. He says Gotham Town instead of Gotham City. Doesn't really make any difference in the context of the right. song. A lot of the same chorus sung over and over until we get to the you know the the music then 
and then the fade out. So that brings us to the end of discussion about Vicky waiting. Julian, do you have any other comments or thoughts on the song that we didn't talk about? I feel like we covered a lot. The only other thing I would say is I'm glad that we came to know it as Vicky waiting um, simply because the sonics of Vicky waiting sound more interesting to me than Anna waiting. Anna feels flat and I can't imagine how he sang it to give it the punch that it need, but literally just the the sound of the words Vicky waiting sounds better to me. <laughs> so all apologies to Anna Fantastic. I'm sure your version was awesome and well-deserved, but I'm glad that the world got Vicky. Yeah, for sure. And I am just, again, hoping for that Batman Super Deluxe Edition with uh, Anna's version on there, and we can all talk about how how, how, right prescient, we were. how prescient we were with our <laughs> interpretation. Yes. The world will know our greatness. <laughs> and speaking of greatness, Julian, hey, do you have anything you want to talk about or um, you know, promote social media-wise or what you're up right, to? Right now, everything is chill, but if you, uh, if you like listening to me pick apart words, I do have a show out there called Storytime with Julian uh, where I do something kind of like this with uh, stories that I read. And also an upcoming podcast called I Just Be Saying Words, where I will literally take a single word and talk about it for an hour. God bless you if you choose to turn in. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, people tune in uh, to this show to listen to us talk about a song for an hour. So <laughs> the lyrics right. to a song for an hour. So, hey, I think you've, I think you've got the audience here. There's for somebody that. out there. <laughs> you've got the audience right here for you, Julian. All right. Well, thanks again uh, so much for being on the show, Julian. Much appreciated. And thanks for uh, this having is, me, Jason. It's been a pleasure as always. You're welcome. You're welcome, man. This has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. You can find the show on social media platforms, just basically uh, all of them, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I've got the show on YouTube now. Um, I've got PressRewind.net as the website that hosts the show. So check it out there. And until next time, bye.